Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So I want to start by asking you a question. Do you truly believe that God is with you? Now, I often wonder what my life would look like if I lived this out wholeheartedly every day. Um, I honestly think that I would be um, braver, I'd be more courageous. Um, I imagine myself being bolder in sharing my faith, praying for people, braver when walking alone in the dark or standing up for what's right when others disagree. I imagine myself being more worshipful in every moment. I imagine myself being more reverent in response to God's holiness and more aware of moments when I drift into sin because he's with me. Um, I feel like I'd be more confident of God's character and his promises that he will protect me, that he will provide for me, that he'd enable me um, to move through his Holy Spirit. And I believe that he's always with us, but I think sometimes it's really, really easy to put God in a bit of a box over here somewhere, forgetting that he is almighty, he's powerful, he's the God who parted the seas, he's the God who raised Jesus from the dead, he guided his people through his presence in the Old Testament, um, which manifested as a pillar of fire, okay, this wasn't just a a little God that we're worshipping, and sometimes if I don't see him at work, um, if I don't see him fixing things that are wrong, in, in, maybe in my eyes, or answering prayers in the way that I think he should, it's really easy to just say, I know he's with us, without kind of truly believing it and truly um, living that out. And it's really easy sometimes to just be really like um, hesitant to expect big things from God. And it's just, this isn't just me, I'm sure. I'm sure there's plenty of you who also find um, this difficult. So at Christmas, there's loads of things that I love. The food, particularly pigs and blankets for me. Sorry, veggies. Um, The time with family, time giving and receiving gifts. The lazy days between Christmas and New Year where you have no idea what day it is or what anyone's doing. and Everything's just a bit bit all over the place. Um, But it also brings to mind one of my favourite names of Jesus, um, which is Emmanuel, spelt with an I or with an E, depending on the Greek or the Hebrew spelling. And it translates as God with us. Now, it can be found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And it says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The almighty God who parts, sees, who heals, who brings new life is here with us in this room. It's mind-blowing, right? It's mind-blowing. And I think that perhaps we really need a reminder of that at Christmas particularly, um, that God is with us, that he is here in this place, that he he wants to bless us, he wants to encourage us, and he wants to be with his people this morning. And so I'd just really like to pray um, and acknowledge that before we go any further. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Thank you that in your justice and your mercy, you demonstrate what is fair, but you provide us with a way out of the mess that we're in. We praise you for your might, your power, your eternal planning and purposes this morning. And we ask that you'd speak to us, Lord. Remind us of the amazing God that you are. Help us to be soft-hearted, 
to what you're saying to us. Help us to listen to what you have to say. Yeah, we pray this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name, knowing that you hear and that you listen to our prayers. Amen. So, I would like us to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, um, or 21. It's not clear on my notes, sorry guys. <laughs> For context, Mary's been visited by an angel, and the angel's given her the news that she would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and carry the Son of God. Joseph, who is her, the equivalent of her fiancé at this point, has been told not to, um, to divorce her in a dream. Um, Israel is under Roman rule at the moment, and the current ruler, Caesar Augustus, um, has demanded a census to gain a sense of how many people are in his kingdom. And each person has been told to travel to their hometown to register. And Joseph and Mary are on their way to Bethlehem, which is a small town that is already crowded with people who've returned in the short term um, for the sake of the census. So I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding and they provide you a little list of places to stay and then you leave it until the last minute, and then you book, and there's nowhere left. That is the kind of vibe that we're going for, but they didn't have, they didn't have cars, they didn't have a means of just nipping back home, um, they just didn't have anywhere to stay. So, um, if you have your Bible with me, please turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. It should also appear on the screen. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So to summarise that, it's quite a long passage. Um, It's Mary and Joseph have travelled to Bethlehem. 
Now, there was limited space in Bethlehem. It's a very small place. And so they ended up staying in a space that they used to house animals. It's probably off the side of a house. And that is most probably where she gave birth to Jesus. And not too far away, there are some shepherds who are watching their sheep, minding their own business, when an angel comes and shares what's happened and tells them to go and see the baby. And they do. They glorify and praise God for what's occurred. And the baby is named Jesus, which is the name given by the angel before he was even conceived. Now, this is most likely a passage that you've all heard before. Most of us have witnessed a group of children acting this out in a very mediocre and cringeworthy fashion with cries of do not be afraid to a series of shepherds with tea towels on their heads with the really tiny children being dressed as a star or as a sheep and standing at the side awkwardly. <laughs> However, I'm hoping that we can really reflect on this passage together and really take it to heart because it's such, such a beautiful and yet really simple and significant story. And I want us to think about three points that we see in this passage. So the first of those is that God is with his people without history. So we see in verses one to four, some scene setting, which points to God's faithfulness throughout the whole of history up to this point. Verse four in our passage says, says this, and Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, the city of David, to the city of David rather, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Now this is a really short verse and it's almost like a little bit of a throwaway comment at the beginning just to set the scene, but actually it's got so many references in it to lots of other Bible passages. Jesus' family was from Nazareth, which was fulfilling prophetic references and themes that all the prophets in the previous kind of few hundred years had referred to. And it was a place that was despised, actually, and particularly hated by most locals. And many think that this links to prophecies about Jesus. Um, one example being in Isaiah 53, verse 3, which says this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, there's a lot of mixed views on this as to whether this refers to Jesus after he's died and been beaten and his face has been disfigured by what he went through. But also, I imagine that this links into his upbringing in the first place. He was from Nazareth, which was just, it was hated by the locals. It wasn't a place where people wanted to be. And John 1.46 shows a guy called Nathaniel saying, can anything good come from Nazareth when people are talking about Jesus? And it's always this question of, oh my goodness, why would anyone good come from there? Now, this is like in the same way that Stephen, who is a southerner and an external processor, is disgusted when my Scouse accent comes out. <laughs> and you thrive, just thrive on the idea of winding me up over the extreme stereotypes that it represents. <laughs> I fiercely fight back, which just makes it worse because I get more Scouse as I get more angry. <laughs> but to my dismay, it isn't just Stephen who has this view. People would have seen how Jesus came from Nazareth and immediately assumed the worst of all the cultural stereotypes that came from that place. <laughs> Babe. <laughs> the reputation of his hometown went before him, okay? Secondly, we see references to the fact that Jesus was from the bloodline of David. And one of the reasons that Matthew 1, if you begin to read the Gospel of Matthew, it begins with a genealogy. And it's just this person had this person, had this person, had this person, had this person, all the way down to Jesus. 
And again, it might be something that we kind of just see in the, the context of the book and just kind of gloss over, but actually it's really important that we know where Jesus came from. We see in Isaiah um, chapter 9, verse 7, um, it says this, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness, righteousness from that time on and forever. And so it's when that we see this verse um, in our passage about it talking about Jesus being from Nazareth, it talks about um, them going to Bethlehem because it's a city of David and he's of David's bloodline. These things are really important. They fulfill prophecies from years and years and years ago about who the Messiah, the Saviour, will be. And from the first reference to a saviour, which is in Genesis 3.15, right at the very beginning of the Bible, through to the current point in verse 4, there is a sense that God is fulfilling what he said. His word, as described in Isaiah 55, will not return void, but it shall accomplish that which God um, purposes it for, and it will succeed in the, for the reason that he sent it. He is faithful and he follows through on his promises. So to conclude our first point, God is with his people throughout history. God with us isn't just something that's kind of drifted in with the Christmas story, but it's been something that God has been writing into history. Second point, God is with his people in their humanity. So through Jesus coming to earth, being both fully human and fully God, he entered the human experience or the human condition. And it says in verse six, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, Jesus entered the world as a fragile baby. He was born. He experienced the same helpless dependence on a caregiver that we all experienced. And there wasn't even a bed for him. He was in an animal trough. And in those moments, he experienced the cold, hunger, birth. He experienced the need to be loved, accepted, provided for. He also experienced poverty and lack in this moment as well. He didn't have anywhere to, to even be. And I don't know if any of you have seen a tiny newborn baby. I'm preparing this preacher. Cast my mind back to when Tom and Julia, who sadly aren't here this morning, um, but they brought their precious little baby Eden to church for the first time. And Stephen and I had had a conversation with them the week before, and we joked about the fact that they maybe they would come back to church the next week with a baby, and they did. <laughs> and think back, for those of you who know Tom and Julia, little Eden, she was so tiny. She was so perfect, but so fragile. And she was so dependent on her parents um, to love her and care for her. She couldn't even hold up her own head. If you look at a little baby, they can't even, they don't even have the strength to hold up their head. And she didn't understand that she just needed food when she was hungry or changing when she had a dirty nappy or warmth when she was cold. This part of the reason that baby cries sounds so incredibly desperate is because they don't understand that they can survive what they're feeling yet. They're so little and so um, at such a primitive and early age that they can't, they can't understand that. And so they, they cry because they need their parents or caregivers in order to survive. And this is like the ultimate dependence on another. And Jesus was the very same. The almighty God came down into this tiny, helpless baby. It's ultimate dependence on, on the, his caregivers at the time, which is just, it's mind-boggling. 
And this passage is only like only the beginning. So from my reading of the New Testament, I imagine that Jesus continued to experience um, lots of human things as he grew up. Um, particularly rejection. As we've mentioned, he was called a Nazarene and that he was from Nazareth and multiple people referred to him as Jesus of Nazareth. So it was something that went with him, this reputation. Not only that, I imagine it would have been guessed by the locals before they went to Bethlehem that Mary was an expectant mum way before she was married. And chances are that the punishment, had Joseph gone through with it, would have been terrible. Um, but I imagined that there was a whole host of shame around that as well. And Jesus probably had that influencing his life as well as he grew up. So Jesus experienced all that it was to be human. It was the first time that we fully saw how God is with us in the experience of our humanity. And Jesus is an empathic and compassionate king. Moving on to our final point. God is with all who invite him to be with them. In verses 8 to 15, we see God's messengers, the angels, appear to the shepherds. Now, shepherds lived really lonely lives. They were surrounded by animals. They had very little human contact, were on the outside of society. These people would have been outcasts. And if you think of the hubbub around famous babies now, you only have to read the news just to see a celebrity that's had a baby. They w- shepherds would not have been the first guests in any sense of the word. They probably would have been dirty. Looking after sheep is a messy business. And yet, despite all of this, God chose to make known this amazing news to them. And he invited them to be some of the first witnesses to the saviour of the world, the long-promised Messiah. The Jews have been waiting for the promised Messiah for hundreds of years since the first prophets, um, no, the first prophecies rather, were made about Jesus all the way back in Genesis and his role in our salvation. And now there are a few theories around um, that the visit of the shepherds and later on the visit of the Magi or the wise men, um, they symbolise how Jesus came for all people, everyone from the poorest to the richest um, to from the most disadvantaged to the most privileged And um, Randy Alcorn writes, um, after the prophets had spoken to Israel, he said this, shepherding had not just lost its widespread appeal, it eventually forfeited its social acceptability. Some shepherds earned their poor reputations, but others became victims of a cruel stereotype. And God chose those who were not socially acceptable to hear the good news. Jesus entering the world signified the start of a new experience of the presence of God. And we have the gift of hindsight. Um, The experience of God in human flesh um, would later be followed by God's Holy Spirit coming. And no longer was God's presence confined to just a temple where only the priests could go. It's something that was accessible to all people at any stage of life from any background. And so this really beautiful and simple and precious nativity story tells us of God's presence with his people. And God's presence is now with all his people. He is here with us. Because Jesus came, we can truly say that God is with us here. What does Emmanuel, God with us, what does it mean for us today? And so I want to invite you to reflect on God with you in your own life. We've kind of looked at three points. We've got this idea of God being with us throughout history. We've got God is with us in our humanity. And finally, God is with all who invite him. And so I want to invite you to almost apply those same things to your own life. Where have you seen God with you in your history? 
Many of you are in church because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you believe that he came, he died and rose again for the forgiveness of your sins. And whether you feel in a great place in your faith right now or a terrible place, chances are you've seen God's faithfulness in your life. I recently listened to a sermon by John Piper and he talked through some of his life experiences and in the, when he was preaching this his stepmother had just been moved into a nursing home because she couldn't look after herself anymore and he had just been helping his dad to adjust to living alone at home and he said this he'd been on a drive around his neighborhood and he'd been looking at the places that were important to him as he was growing up yeah it should come up on the screen behind me said this finally I drove to the cemetery where my mother was buried in 1974 after being killed in a bus accident I was a little ashamed that it took me five minutes to find the brass headstone but shame gave way to the sweetest gratitude as I stood there alone and let myself have a good 54 year old cry (coughs) as I poured out my heart in thanks to God for his mercies to me in 28 years of faithful mothering Yes, the loss at 28 was hard, but God was good. Oh, how many are the mercies of God in our lives, even in the hardest experiences? And I wonder if we could apply that to our own lives. How have you seen God's mercies and his presence with you throughout your life? If you're struggling to feel that sense of God with you right now, and you're a bit feeling a bit removed from me saying that actually Jesus is, or the Holy Spirit is here with us, then I want you to take a walk through what he's done for you in the past, what he's spoken to you over your faith journey. I keep the, um, the bigger things that God has spoken to me over the years in a notebook. And in there, I have accounts of how God's encouraged me, challenged me, given me occasional pictures, or simply just reminded me of something that I already knew. And I want to encourage you to actually just think about those times, think about those times that God has spoken to you. And I want to encourage you to share the stories. Talk about them with other people. Um, The other week at our community group, we talked about God's faithfulness to us and we shared ways that God had been at work in our lives. And it increases your faith, it encourages you, and it encourages others. And it's just such a blessing. It's awesome. Be encouraged. God loves you. He knows you. And he has done since before you were born. And actually, that's something worth sharing. And so even if you're just kind of talking when we have food afterwards, like maybe just share some of those things because actually it encourages us all. It really does. I would love to hear what God's done in your life, whether it was yesterday, whether it was 10 years ago, um, because it's so encouraging. And actually, it really boosts our own faith as well. So secondly, I want you to think about how Jesus was with us in our humanity day by day. Do you trust that God understands? When you're struggling, do you tell him about it or do you just retreat into a corner when things get tough? Tell him, tell him about the difficulties of the life that you'll live, not the difficulty of not having a job, the challenges of mental health, the choice to not heat your house as much so you can afford food. He wants to be with you every step of the way and actually there's nothing that you've been through that he doesn't understand. He is compassionate, But he also pleads with God for the provision of our needs. There's so many verses that talk about Jesus being our advocate before God. And so ask him to provide, to ask him to bring resolutions to these problems as well as be compassionate and understanding. 
And we trust that God sees the bigger picture. And so don't just dismiss it altogether if you don't see the answer that you'd like. But let's be expectant. God can change things. And we won't ever see that if we shy away from asking in the first place. Finally, his message of hope is for all of us. This message is for you this morning. I don't know where you're at, but this message is for you. Forgiveness and a God who knows what you're experiencing now. He will eventually restore you in heaven. He has his arms open to you this morning. You only have to say, if you don't know him already, you only have to say a short prayer to tell him that you'll turn from your own ways of doing things and accept his forgiveness, accept that you need his forgiveness. And in response to this decision, he offers the Holy Spirit as an advocate to help and guide you through your life. But for those of you who already have made that decision, like what would it look like for you to rely more on the Holy Spirit day by day? Perhaps you, like me, would expect to be braver um, in your faith. Perhaps you'd be more trusting of the gut instincts that the Holy Spirit often gives and step out for him more often or be more expectant in your prayers. Maybe you do your quiet times differently or take moments just to dwell on God and be in his presence in the middle of your day.